When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Um, relatively okay. Although uh, my standard answer a lot of times when people ask me that is every day is a Monday. And uh, that was the case today because my Black Tuesday started badly with a phone call from work at midnight and it has not gotten better. So it's been kind of an ugly day. Uh, on a good note, though, I remembered that, you know, come a couple of weeks from now, uh, I'll have been with Addicted to Quack for two years. You can believe that. Uh, I <laughs> two years of putting up with my writing, and and I'm still here. But uh, addicted to quack allows me to get some sense of escapism from the Black Tuesdays of my life, and uh, I've really enjoyed the past couple of years because we 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 look at all the duck sports and not just the money sports, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Love the ducks. Uh, as do I. Uh, and uh, I feel like, especially with Oregon going to the Big Ten, uh, I'm not sure that women's volleyball ain't a money sport. Um, yeah. It, it, uh, the, the Big Ten teams, uh, you know, schools really love them some women's volleyball. Um, and, and the Ducks uh, are in good company uh, because the you know they've been going pretty far lately. Uh, you wrote uh, uh, for the site um, the season in review article. Um, uh, the the last podcast that we recorded, you know, when Oregon went out against Wisconsin, we uh, you know we, we sort of inevitably turned that conversation a bit to you know reviewing the season and looking forward to the future. But I figured since you've uh, you you know, you wrote the entire article on, you know, the season in review, how Coach Ulmer sort of built this team's roster, especially knowing that, you know, he had a ton of seniors. Um, and I, I, I thought it would be an interesting uh, conversation to talk about maybe how this season went uh, with an eye towards planning for next year like uh uh in in particular sort of the depth and getting some exposure for some of the young players because i definitely noticed certain freshmen were playing a lot 
um, uh, like Tybalt, for example, um, and others, you know, not so much, you know, like a lot of it seems a lot of this year seemed to be like really showcasing, um, a lot of the seniors. Um, how did you think that went? Like, did, were you detecting, you know, some planning for the future stuff, uh, from this team? Uh, yeah. And it may not have been exactly, uh, obvious, certainly at the beginning of the season. Um, we lost some, uh, key players from, uh, last season's elite eight run, uh, you know, n- most notably, uh, uh, Gloria Materi and Brooke Dunaviller. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Carol Roby um, went into the transfer portal. And so uh, one of the first things that Coach Ulmer did was to uh, get some help from the transfer portal. And um, it, and he did an amazing job you know, getting a hold of Kara McGee and Gabby Gonzalez. Uh, they, they were really integral to uh, another deep NCAA run. But he also um, had had and has uh, a bunch of freshmen. And we saw um, we saw uh, play from you know most notably Kate Thebalt, but also Noemi Glover um, you know came in and, and did her thing. But there's uh, uh, about five other uh, outside hitters and whatnot that they're in the wings. Um, now coach Homer had said at the beginning of the season, um, right after the exhibition and into the first couple of games that he, uh, has never had the kind of depth, uh, that he's had with this team. And I think it was notable that that we didn't see a whole lot of uh, you know the newcomers. Um, we've got we've got um, several outside hitters that that we've uh, not seen at all. Uh, Becca Kelly, Alex Acevedo, um, Isabel Patterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sophie Gregor. We have a, a Noemi Glover's, uh, you know, she's an opposite and um, a new setter. And so, you know, with all this, um, with all this, um, graduate and uh upperclassmen talent it wasn't necessary to um you know bring any of the the newcomers out um you know outside of um the two that we talked about uh, that we saw um but yeah i have to think that there's a reason why uh coach Homer has had mentioned that that he had the the kind of depth that he has. Now, I, I think it probably speaks towards some development of all these youngsters because it, it we had a lot of freshmen in in the background this year, and they've been sparring and practicing against 
this elite eight squad. And so uh, I, I have to think that, that there's uh, been some considerable development going on over the course of the year and that, yep, hopefully we see the fruits of that development um, because the, um, the 2024 squad is going to look much different. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they're losing a lot of seniors. Um, the, you know, we, we ran them down, you know, uh, uh, when I was talking to, to Kevin last week, you know, you know, he, he wouldn't let us get off the topic without running down, you know, every one of the seven seniors that Oregon's losing. And it's sort of like, it's a lot of production, you know, um, it, it, you know, the, the team is going to be almost unrecognizable uh in the 2024 uh season um or is it like what do you think about that you know proposition do you do you think that you know this is going to be categorically a different team next year well yes and no i mean we're still going to have uh colby neal we'll still have mimi coyer um but the the rest of the team as it stands right now is comprised of a lot of youngsters mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think it's going to be statically that way. I, I think Ulmer's uh, going to do what he did this season and, you know, pull some excellent talent, um, you know, some extra, uh, some excellent veteran talent from the portal again. And, you know, kind of help uh, provide that continued veteran leadership to go along with uh, um, a younger team with a, a lot of new faces. Uh, I mean, bring back Mimi Collier. I mean, uh, obviously she's very young. I mean, like it's sort of weird watching her because you think you're watching a senior, but she's <laughs> yeah. not like at <laughs> she's all. She's only a sophomore this year. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and she she led in kills. She led in service aces. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah she's a really quite an outstanding talent. Uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, like as the the sort of the point score, like the end of the chain. Um, but you know, the the they are losing their like the. I mean, they're losing their libero and they're losing Hannah Pucas, um, mm-hmm. who's, you know, the, the setter, uh, who's like absolutely pivotal. Right. Do you, uh, if it, let's say the, this, the transfer portal slammed shut, like the NCAA, like suddenly said, no, n- nobody's allowed to take any transfers, you know, and we we're all surprised by that. Like, who on this team, like, who, who would replace Georgia Murphy and Hannah Pucas? Well, um, the person that would uh, replace Hannah Pucas if the door slammed shut and there was n- no other um, options would be Kristen Klein, which is uh, a, a freshman setter. And um, the libero would be... Um, probably uh, Kate Thebolt because yeah, 
she did find some significant uh, uh, playing time. And so that. I, I yeah, totally she, agree with you about the ball. In fact, I, you know, we, we saw her quite a bit and I thought, you know, that's why I was asking you about sort of planning for the future, planning for 2024 during 2023. I thought we were seeing that a lot. I thought that, I thought that Oregon actually definitely spent a lot of its time, um, you know, finding defensive players and, and like, I actually think for among the young players that are going to be continuing on in 2024, Oregon's in really good shape for the defensive players. I think they're they're not going to have any difficulty, you know, replacing, you know, Murphy at the libero position. Um, you know, they've got a ton of options there. Uh, I this, I don't this, know about the, replacing Pucas. Like, yeah, the the, the center position is something that um, I think uh, Ulmer's going to do uh, what he did when he brought on Pucas. It you know go to the transfer portal. Yeah, people. And, I think people forget that she came from she she's from Wazoo. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, I think people forget that you know because she's you know it feels like she's been a duck forever, and she feels like she's like an essential duck. Um, but like you know, she's a kook. Like uh, you know, she she came over. Um, I, I think you're right. Uh, like I didn't see anybody. Uh, like I didn't see anybody in 2020. Let me put this question to you. I didn't see anybody in the 2023 team that it looked like Ulmer was comfortable saying, okay, Hannah, come get Gatorade. We got somebody else who can, you know, who can be the, the you know, the, the, the pivotal, you know, in the, you know, the second spot in the chain. It was, right. you know, P- Pucas was, was, it was like every time it, it, I mean, it was every set, like sh- she was setting up everything, like every, set every match everything like i don't think he felt comfortable with having anybody else no and it's um it's a function of a, a couple things first of all hannah pucas is that good well yeah. always been that good and um when she had to sit out uh, for a few games last season uh, there was some obvious issues now mm-hmm. uh, granted uh, Ferrera stepped in, and once she got a handle on it, um, um, the Ducks were kind of okay, even though um, it wasn't Pucas. But there was a they they dropped a, at least two games that they probably don't drop if Pucas is in there. And so, you know, when you when you're trying to make a a deep run again. And you have a, a setter like Hannah Pucas, and you you've got to go with that, and not take chances, and especially n- not with a uh, freshman setter. Now, I did notice that there was a, a couple of teams that were in the NCAA tournament. I forget who it was. If it was uh, Nebraska or or Pitt, or uh, there was somebody who who did have a freshman setter. But yeah, that's. That's the uh, that's like getting a, a freshman Mimi Coyer in there. I mean, you you got a unicorn, and you can't you can't plan on that. So, do you think you know? Uh, uh, you know, 
If if I'm Ulmer, yeah, I I go look for a uh, uh, setter and a couple of outside hitters from the portal. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is like, do you think he's comfortable with with what he's got in terms of the you know the hitters? Um, I I think they're. I mean, I think they're in better shape there. But like, I you know, I definitely. I mean, I would be interested in in grabbing one or two more. Although I don't think it would be the end of the world if if Oregon just like if all Oregon did was take like two setters, you know, one you know an A plan and a backup plan in case you know she got hurt, Mm -hmm. like, and then nobody else. I think this team would actually be pretty much fine. Like, or what do you think about that assertion? Um, yeah, I think they, they would be, I did get a a chance in the exhibition game to see a couple of the, the freshmen and uh, as far as the hitters go and the, uh, the hitters that stood out, um, the most to me was of course, Noemi Glover, Mm -hmm. but also Alex Acevedo. Um, she did see some some more play than um than the other freshmen and so i i would tend to think that she would um be in the rotation uh, along with some more veteran leaders but i mean again that's you know we saw a lot of the young players you know hitting and rotating through during the 2023 season like that was you know like the defensive players that was also you know something that they were comfortable planning for 2024 during 2023 you know like i I mean i agree with you i i I think that they are probably going to try to to grab a hitter or two you know out of the the open market um it's just that like that's not nearly as it's it strikes me as necessary as uh, you know be, because they were able to do that that sort of planning whereas pucus was just like you couldn't take her off the court like right. um and, and so like even if they like even if they have waiting on the bench you know her replacement like i wouldn't nobody would know it because like she just got no reps like you know well and and not only do we lose pucus but we lose elise ferrer which was mm-hmm. basically her backup so so there's a hole there for uh setter next season um yeah omer's um he's gonna have to find somebody i think yeah no, I mean it's that's that's the challenge of the off season. Otherwise, you know, I like I said, like I I really sort of you know reading your article and sort of you know trying to piece together what's this team going to look like in twenty twenty four, and you know it was it was also sort of a question in the back of my mind is you know whenever whenever you would write up or one of the other you know writers would would write up you know a, a post match article i would you know whenever i saw freshman you know freshman 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 noted i was like that's planning you know yeah. uh, on a team that's loaded with seniors 
you don't have to be playing freshmen like and you know the, the freshmen are getting playing time because of you know planning for the future and and yet that was happening you know all the time like and, and this team also like didn't it didn't backfill it didn't do a whole lot of backfilling in their like the 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 middle of their experience level with like um hey you know like the football you know what in football we would describe as like you know j- journeyman mid three stars like mm-hmm. oh you don't really have a lot of talent you know or natural physical aptitude you know but you are fairly experienced and so you won't embarrass us out on the court you know so we'll stick you in there you know you you you, you won't contribute much but like you know you're not going to embarrass us you know the downside to that being that you are that such a player is like you know taking away potential developmental time from the freshmen like we did not see Oregon do such a thing right it was yep. seniors or freshmen on the floor um right and the only um the only player that they brought in for depth um uh, on your figbu was mm-hmm. um a middle blocker who virtually saw um no playing time yeah and it's because she probably wasn't needed. She was there as a depth piece and, you know, there too, because she's still veteran leadership there to help develop all these new hitters. Yeah. This is, I mean, the whole time I was thinking about like, because I write about this, you know, the, the, during a concurrent period of time that I was writing about Oregon's football team, it was sort of a similar situation to Oregon's like defensive front where it's, you know, uh, it's, it's nothing but seniors and freshmen and they, and Oregon made us, you know, uh, on the football team made a deliberate choice not to backfill with journeymen at their middle mm-hmm. level, like instead they just like doubled down on freshmen, um, and, and got their you know freshmen, you know the the Blake purchases etc. Tatum Tuiades etc. A bunch of playing time, and we're planning for the future uh, in so doing. Um, you know, it's just like the, the, the whole defensive front was seniors and freshmen. And, you know, here I'm watching the volleyball team and reading your articles about the volleyball team. And I'm seeing the same thing. And I'm like seniors and freshmen. I'm like, hey, it's like the the, the volleyball coaching staff and the, the the football defensive line coaching staff are, are comparing notes. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know it's coming. And I also know, you know, what the transfer portal opportunities it creates but also sort of the traps that it creates as well you know um and uh it's it in my opinion it, it seems like that you know that's a trap that they avoided uh which i dig you know and and reading your article uh you know the the season and review article which i would recommend readers going and taking a look it's very it's very in depth about like the strategic moves that Oregon was making throughout the season, including the stuff we've been talking about in this podcast conversation about planning for the future. Um, I think Oregon setting themselves up pretty well as long as they get a setter, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to have to be, it's, I mean, it's almost certainly going to have to be through the portal. Yeah. And I, I think it's really telling that the past couple of seasons in 21 and 22, 
you know, we did see um, some transfer portal movement from players that didn't play. And um, it happened right as the season ended. We have not seen any of these faces that we have not seen enter the transfer portal. So Uh, I've, I've got to think that they're on board with, with whatever the plan is for next season and beyond. That's true. I think the window is somewhat different for volleyball than it is for football. Um, because, uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not positive about that, but I think the transfer portal window is just a little bit different. So uh, we're going to, you know, keep our eye on that one, but you're right about that. In fact, there was an interesting story that was written about, um, uh, about one of the players who was having sort of an ongoing health issue that was sort of like, you know, what are we going to do with the scholarship? Um, and, you know, it was somewhat ruthless. Um, the, now, I've spent a long time writing on the football, you know, side, you know, beat, uh, you know, about how coaches in roster management need to be, you know, ruthless in order to construct a championship caliber you know, roster with limited resources, um, and to, to marshal those resources effectively. And, you know, honestly, you know, women's volleyball is, you know, is the team that's, you know, next to football, the, the, the other team that's closest to winning a national championship for Oregon. And, and utilizing all the roster management tools that are available, including, um, you know, a, a aggressive use of the transfer portal and, um, you know, c- clearing up roster space uh, f- in order to get productive players forward and non-productive players, you know, off of the roster. As much as that is true in football, it is, you know, it, hell, there are fewer scholarships, you know, available because it's 85 in football and it's, less than that in volleyball it's even more of an imperative um and you know so like it will be interesting to see you know how the the portal is used and maybe how people are you know to use a fraught term you know potentially processed out on uh in on the volleyball team yeah well certainly while we're focused on the um minor sports uh you know like uh, baseball and, and softball, which is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to have uh, one of my eyes looking at the periphery to see what's uh, going on with volleyball, not only for the, the ducks, but yeah, but I mean, we're, uh, we're in the big 10 next season. So uh, I'm going to have uh, an eye on what kind of movement is happening in the big 10 you know, with all these teams like, like like Wisconsin and Nebraska and Penn State. Uh, yeah, no, the Big Ten teams uh, definitely love volleyball. In fact, the, the other day, um, uh, you know, I was uh, – in order to get the video ready to to shove it into my my video library, I had to do some editing on uh, on one of the Big Ten uh, games that I was uh, you know I was working on, and uh, you know they they were going to do an interview with one of the coaches, uh, and, and like 
you know, did they interview Matt Rule, you know, former NFL coach? No. Did they interview Luke Fickle, you know, who had coached in the college football playoff? No. They were interviewing the women's volleyball coach about the upcoming, uh, you know, Wisconsin versus Nebraska, you know, match because that was a real big deal for their viewership. Uh, they were gassing it up, you know, as well they might. because It was a hell of a match. Like, it was incredible. They filled up uh, Memorial Stadium. Stadium. Um, yeah, uh, in, yeah. There's a there's a lot of interest out there, and yeah, the U of O does really well. Um, they'll get you know thirty five hundred people in for a volleyball match, and you know very nearly, uh, not quite, they'll uh, not quite match women's um, basketball attendance, but that's pretty respectable for um, for volleyball, especially out here. But you know. I mean, um, Nebraska, for their season opener, um, they filled a football stadium. Yeah. And and Wisconsin, uh, you know, for the for the uh, matches leading up to that Elite Eight match, yep, they're averaging seventy five hundred, eight thousand people. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, there are no minor sports. There are only minor sports writers, Dadwater. (laughs) That would be so. (laughs) uh, We appreciate your coverage uh, of uh, women's volleyball, uh, which is not a minor sport, (laughs) not at Oregon on the Big Ten. Let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk some women's basketball. Uh, so you covered uh, uh, both the uh, Southern game and the uh, UTSA game, uh, which were both uh, pretty solid victories for the women's basketball team. Uh, uh, as we are recording, or just before we recorded, uh, Oregon uh, lost Utah Tech, but Tristan's going to cover that, so I'll talk to about him. I'll, I'll talk to him about that later. Uh, what you see out of the the the, the wins over uh, Southern and UTSA? Well, um, Oregon won uh, all four of their games that they played over the past couple of weeks at Matthew Knight Arena. I think they benefited a, a little bit from a, a home crowd, but they also benefited from uh, the opposition, which in the case of a team like Southern, uh, wasn't a whole lot of competition. And those the Southern players were uh, overmatched uh, against, you know, was probably a, a middling Pac-12 team like Ducks women's basketball is right now. Mm. I mean, and they're not a great team. They're, uh, they've only won one game in seven, eight, and they play in the Southwest Athletic Conference. They're, um, there isn't a whole lot that you can take away from um, you know, a, a easily a double digit defeat uh, in, with this uh, Ducks women's basketball team over a, a really bad opponent. I mean, well, sure. I I mean, yeah. I mean, Southern is a, a proud HBCU. The the SWAC finally won the the Celebration Bowl. Uh, you know, this last weekend. Uh, you know, bring it up to to two and six versus the Miac. Um, uh, uh, go Rattlers. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just you know, clearly overmatched in that game. Um, 
that that was just never going to be competitive from the start and we talked talked to 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 tristan a a little bit about it you know already because he had uh, he had he had covered you know uh, the 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 previous two games as well um i I wanted to talk to you about the utsa game that you wrote up um uh in many ways it continued you know some of these trends you know that we've been observing um you know chance gray two for seven from the three-point line except she keeps getting fouled and making all of her free throws right yes, you she know did. So she went six, for six, six for six from the stripe mm-hmm. so i you know look man i i, I can't complain about 100 percent from the stripe right um the uh uh you know sophia bell who i've been you know complaining about uh, you know, uh, has almost, uh, you know, identical of a stat line, right? Two for seven yeah. from the three point line, uh, except she's not getting fouled, you know, so she has half as many points. Uh, Kennedy Basham, you know, again, not contributing anything. Um, Phil Pinache, uh, who has sort of been, you know, a revelation in uh you know in the in the other out of conference games it's sort of a quiet night um in, in, in this one you know d- didn't score that much didn't get that many rebounds but that was sort of because grace van sluten was getting all the rebounds um uh um you know actually i'll, I'll pause for a second there like do you think that Filipina Che was having an off night or you just think that the ball was going a different way? Like, what did you think about her performance in this game? Uh, I think she was being uh, defended differently. And mm. um, it, the um, UTSA was the fast team. Boy, yeah. they, they would get inside like nobody's business. And yeah, when you're, when you're in... Uh, martial arts and you're up against a um um bigger taller further reach that uh, you want to get inside because uh, that's the uh, that's the only hope that you have um to deal with that uh to deal with that big tall threat and that's uh what was happening uh i think uh, another function of um what allowed oregon to uh, to come out on top in both of these games was that uh, uh, neither of the teams, neither UTSA nor Southern, could uh, hit a three ball to save their life. Oh yeah, I mean, look, man, I you know this is what, you know same things when we were talking to Tristan last time is like there's really no point in talking about Oregon's defensive performance against the opponent's offense because what mm-hmm. offense like right. you know every single one of these teams for this last you know four game winning streak scores like on you know around 50 points or fewer um which is like that's you know the that's like the baseline that like that that's like you know when you when you take the sat and you get 200 points for putting your name on the paper like yeah like the, you know they're <laughs> they're gonna get that many you know like i mean it's just sure. like uh, you, you know and I, I look you know we should say Oregon's defensive performance like there's there is some stuff to be commended here like for example they're doing it without fouling like Mm -hmm. you know Oregon's actually you know 
playing pretty good defensive basketball without getting excessively handsy. Um, Oregon's also, you know, uh, you know, Grace Van Sluten had four blocks in this game. Filipina Che had three blocks in this game. Both of them had two steals. Sophia Bell had three steals. Um, uh, you know, Ch- Chance Gray had two steals. Um, uh, right. Like, you know, they're, they're, they were effectively, you know, playing very disruptive defense and they were doing it without, you know, really sending, um, you know, the, the roadrunners to the stripe at all. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, their most, you know, that, <laughs> you know, one of uh, UTSA's, you know, shooters was three for 17 from the floor. Another was two for 15. Like, you know, just like they couldn't, they couldn't make a basket, you know, against Oregon. Um, yeah. The, um, the issue wasn't so much with uh, defense. It was with the offensive production. With, well, yeah. With, I mean, with, I was just sort of getting that out of the way. Like yeah. there's no, there's no point in discussing Oregon's defensive, you know, it, it, it's just like exactly. they're, they're playing offenses that can't score a bucket and Oregon is defending them appropriately, which mm-hmm. is by, you know, uh, they are doing what they need to do and they are not giving them extra opportunities by fouling them, which is, uh, you know, appropriate. That's what they're supposed to be, you know, doing. And so there's really not anything to, to talk about there. You know, it's sort of like thumbs up all around, which given how much I know Badwater, you want to dump all over this team. Like, Hey man, they're, they're doing the right thing on the defensive side of the ball. It's just like, yeah, they need to be scoring a lot more, which like, yeah, I'll join you in dumping all over this team. They need to be scoring a lot more. Like, like I've been ringing that bell about this team for, I mean, <laughs> since the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get, I guess, um, uh, I, tend to be kind of underwhelmed that you do what you're supposed to against uh, the kind of teams that you're playing in Southern U and UTSA. Yeah, man, I'm just saying that we don't, that's the reason we're not talking about it is because there's, you know, what else are you going to do? Like you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't take their score to zero. It's just like, it's impossible. Like that's, it's not going to happen. You know, if you tried, you would foul them and that's how they would get into the game. So, yeah. yeah so um, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Quit, yeah. quit opening your mouth about it. The, <laughs> the, now, on, the, on the plus side, though, um, uh, Priscilla Williams. Right. That's what I want to talk about. Thank you. Northern District of West Virginia. There's a federal (laughs) court ruling in which like the further destroying the NCAA uh, in which, you know, basically the 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 judge puts the kibosh on the NCAA's power to restrict Mm -hmm. transfers. And so every trans like every player across the country in every sport suddenly be who's like had a second transfer in their career like priscilla priscilla williams did suddenly becomes immediately eligible in the middle of their season and so it's like okay priscilla you get to play now um and so she does and when i see players uh shoot you can see from the moment it leaves their hands it's like oh that's not going in 
It's like, oh, yeah, don't know. Um, every time that she uh, threw a free throw, just the moment it left her hand, you knew it was going in. Oh, yeah, seven for eight from the strike. Yeah. She was that good. Uh, of course, she only shot two for seven from the floor. Yeah, uh, but they were threes. That's true. You yeah, know, and, and she uh, she really hasn't had uh, any playing time at all. You know, you're 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 waiting on a a ruling to uh, see if you even have a season. So I, I think um, uh, under the circumstances, she could be given a pass for going two for seven. I mean, the thing that's sort of nutty is that like. Oregon okay so Oregon shoots 30% from the three point arc uh which is I mean I want 33% 30% okay they get fouled a lot like a lot a lot um and so they go to the charity stripe and then they are shooting 73% I would like that to be a little bit higher but like okay fine um they uh you know and so like that's how they're stringing together their points but like you know the 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 thing that's nutty to me is that like a huge amount of their just shots from the floor are three-point attempts you know like and they're if like man they're just not making baskets from the two-point you know that's like they're, they're shooting 35.3%, you know, overall, right? So, like, getting closer than the three-point line causes their, like, accuracy to go up five percentage points. Like, that's real bad. Like, like that's really bad. Like, you know, that's really the issue here is that, like, and that's with two fully functional and dominant bigs in Filipina Che and Grace Van Sluten, right? You know, yeah. like, and, and it's basically because, you know, like they're not getting anything, you know, on the inside out of players like Kennedy Basham or Sophia Bell, or Simi Wagner, or Sierra Rhombus, like, who are, who are, you know, going inside to shoot baskets, and then not making them, like. mm. Right, and last season, it was, um, it was India Rogers that, and, you know, certainly she was streaky, but uh, she was that guard that had the ability to drive it inside and either kick it back out or, or get it up and and draw the foul. And um, this season, Grace Van Sluten is, is that player and just about nobody else. Well, yeah. And I mean, they're getting, I mean, they're getting production out of their bigs and their bigs sort of affect the game, which is, and they have two of them. And knock on wood, they're healthy. And Philippine Che, I really do feel like is, you know, because she's sort of new to the sport, like, and you knew that there were, it was going to take some time for her to, to develop, like, the sort of anticipation and intuition for, like, actually playing basketball. Um, like, but I, I feel like she's turned a corner, you know, on, on that, like, you know, okay. But you know, what you also have is like, I don't like eight other players who are just sort of 
you know, we were talking about a minute ago about ruthless roster management. Like, mm -hmm. I sort of feel like there's eight other players who need to be processed out. Like, yeah, of course, you can't do that in the middle of the season. It's not like you have free, you know, free agency uh, or the waiver wire um, in college basketball. Um, but it's like, you know, this team needs to get reconstructed. Like they just don't have anybody who can make a basket in, on the interior. Um, it, and like, they don't have a point guard and it's like, yeah. And, and, they, and they don't have a, a couple of, uh, uh, three point sharpshooters. It's also true. Um, I, you know, I don't really know what's happened to chance grace, you know, shot, but, but it, you know, we're like we're like eight games into this where it's like, she's, you know, she'll consistently jack up somewhere between seven to nine, three point attempts during the game. And she'll make like one to two. And it's like, you, yeah. you, you know, if you're going to be shooting that many that you're, you need to make like three to four, you know, you, you need to be, you know, adding, you know, you, you yeah you, you need to be scoring like 12 to 15 points you know uh, like you know earned you, you know it's like getting fouled and making the free throws you know sure you know great uh but like you know just like the hit percentage needs to be higher like you, you can't justify is this is not justifiable like yeah and she's weirdly streaky about it. Mm -hmm. You know, she'll hit boom, boom, a couple of uh, three pointers, and then uh, there'll be sixteen minutes of nothing. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, uh, and then we've got an exciting story to tell about uh, Utah Tech, but that's uh, going to yeah. have to wait for the next that's podcast. For a different person and yeah. and uh, a different day. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will talk about uh, Oregon in uh, Oregon's football's uh, transfer portal hall. So uh, the way that we're going to handle um, uh, the transfer portal for Oregon is is kind of piecemeal. You know, we I mean, honestly, we could write an article every day about how the transfer portal is working. Uh, but rather than sort of drib and drab it, you know, we're, we're just probably going to write like one article a week uh, giving transfer portal updates. Um this the article that you wrote was the first one, and it turned out to be timely. You uh, summarized uh, all the departures um, and then Oregon and we we knew that Oregon had one, you know, very splashy addition, which was Dylan Gabriel, mm -hmm. um, the, the quarterback transfer from Oklahoma and, and before that UCF. Um, but uh, 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 but then, you know, like in the 24 hour period before your article was going to hit. Uh, Oregon added three more through the transfer portal. Um, uh, the, the offensive lineman, uh, Matthew Bedford uh, from Indiana, um, the running back for the, from Division Two, um, but like like an all world, you know, running back, um, uh, Jay Harris um, uh, from uh, Northwest Missouri. And uh, and then the long awaited return of Dante Moore. Uh, mm -hmm. who was committed to Oregon uh, last cycle, then flipped at the last minute to UCLA. And then as predicted, 
by me in my UCLA, you know, preview article, uh, you know, got started by Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly didn't know how to use him. Uh, and then he that didn't go so well and he got benched for Colin Schley and and Ethan Garbers. And then he transferred out and wound up back at Oregon, mm-hmm. which was exactly as I foretold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, it was kind of fortuitous, uh, like you say, that we got um, some commitments before the article because uh, uh, I know that you have the same distaste that I do for uh, dealing with the speculation and who people are looking at and blah, 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 and and all that noise. I I like to deal with um, um, things after they've committed and after they happen. I mean, Oregon is, you know, not, not to get too much into the tea leaves or, 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 or conjecture or, or, you know, uh, but Oregon is, is according to people in the know, you know, heavily favored and connected with, you know, maybe six more transfer portal additions. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but like, you know, until they commit, you know, we're just going to wait until they commit, you yeah. know, Hey man, you know, Oregon didn't play a football game or at least not one that they can contribute to, uh, you know, until September of next year, we, we can wait until we know like there's if, right. And you need instant gratification, you know, Twitter still exists at least for now. Like I, yeah, I've, there, there's lots of noise. It hasn't folded yet. Um, <laughs> There's lots of noise on Twitter, and and you know this is different from um, Lanning's um, first need to use the portal. Yeah, he he jumps in uh, after Cristobal leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs to uh, take care of uh, as many incoming recruits to sign as he can, and then he needs to make fast use of the transfer portal and get some names and bodies in because uh, time is not on his side in, in that circumstance. Well, he well to, two years he later, has to sort of like rebuild to an extent. I mean, like Mario Cristobal right. left him quite a few pieces and, and, and a fairly talented roster, but just anytime there's coaching turnover, you have guys leave who probably would have stuck around had that coach stuck you know, stuck around. And so like Lanning, like has to use the transfer portal, not just, you know, for roster management purposes, you know, process out unproductive players process in, you know, guys who are more likely to be able to contribute, but for the, like the, you know, the, the little more dire, you know, application of the transfer portal, which is like, uh, you know, there's a brick missing from this wall. You know, we need to get a brick to put in to keep this wall from falling down. Um, you know, that that is not the situation that, you know, now, you know, going to year three of the of of Dan Lanning's time at Oregon um, that they're confronting the, you know, now, you know, he's had some time to sort of to, to 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 sort of get the roster into into the position where he wants, you know, walls aren't falling down. It's like get get guys who are like, OK, improve the team, you know, like 
you know, we're, right. and, we're some, some game changers, you know, uh, and, and he can afford to wait to, um, get those pieces and not have, um, not have to deal with the talk and the stress of, um, of, you know, what, uh, what he was in during, uh, right after, uh, taking over the team. I mean, he, he has, he has a, a proven track record in, in wins. He has a proven track record in recruiting and, um, he can allow that to do his talking. Right. So it's sort of, so, yeah, it, it sort of switches the economics to, you know, it's more of a buyer's market, you know, at this point where he's got, you know, or he, he is now a two time, as opposed to when he first showed up, never having coached a game before he is, you know, now a coach who has, you know, a, a 10 and, you know, 11 win seasons under his mm-hmm. belt, potentially 12, you know, depending on how the Fiesta bowl goes, uh, you know, where, you know, where he, you know, he's going to have between 21 and 22, you know, wins under his belt and, and is going to be able to tell, you know, and, uh, you know, a, a, as we just finished saying, like, he doesn't have like, you know, holes in the wall that he needs to, you know, plug with, you know, whatever it's like, you know, he, he can afford to be a little choosier. Yeah. Um, and like if a dude is sort of making demands he's in a position to say like okay take a hike you know like you know he's in a position where he can you know he he can get who he wants and if someone is trying to to put him over a barrel he can tell him to take a hike yep yep it's a it's a exciting times um, the, um, in the first part of, uh, my article, I talked about who left via the portal mm-hmm. and, um, and there aren't any surprises there. Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Uh... We're, we're talking at good players, but, um, but their stats weren't super impressive or they didn't have the playing time, um, that they thought they should have, or, or you're like, uh, uh, Chris Hudson, but Chris Hudson had a, a great year last year. And then, uh, for this season, he just vanished from the radar. Well, that's really an artifact of Will Stein's, you know, sort of feed the studs philosophy where I, you know, even I was taken aback by it. The fact that, you know, the ball was only going to four wide receivers and, mm-hmm. and really even among those four, the fall off between the top two and then the, the other two was enormous. Like, I mean, just the ball wasn't going to anybody, um, uh, else. Um, and so, if you weren't in that club, if you weren't in that clubhouse, like that's it. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, there's sort of a mix here. You know, Chris Hudson is probably a guy who could who I'm I'm sure, given his track record and his production, I'm sure there will be a lot of programs, you know, who would who, that that would want to uh, take him. Um, yeah, I think he's going to find success somewhere. For sure. Right. Um, 
you know, uh, Tavita Poma, a, you know, is the youngest guy to have left. He was a freshman, you know, a true freshman, you know, defensive lineman. Um, I, I liked his build. Um, I, you know, I thought he was a developmental player. I guess I wasn't like shocked that he left. Like I wasn't, first of all, it wasn't a surprise he didn't play, you know, that that was a classic, you know, his, his recruitment and just, you know, play profile and the, the guys ahead of him was such that like, you knew that he was going to red shirt, but it was like, okay, this was the year that he was going to play. And instead he bounced. So, you know, does that mean that he was unhappy or does that mean that Oregon was happier with other players or does that mean that, like, I don't know, some other opportunities came up for him? I don't know. Like th- that one's sort of the hardest read for me is is Poma A. Um, sure. I, I just I really don't know what that means. Um, uh, Dowdell about uh, the running back uh, bouncing um, is sort of, you know, he's sort of you know, buried on the depth chart. I think that probably means that Noah Whittington who got, you know, got hurt is, is probably coming back. Um, which means that the room is, is probably going to be, you know, Whittington, uh, Jordan James, um, uh, 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 you know, Lamar, uh, Jay Harris, the transfer portal guy, which would mean like, he's probably just getting crowded out. Yeah you know, and, uh, and so I understood that bounce. Um, uh, Ashton Cozart was a wide receiver, uh, you know, who, who didn't get playing time. He left for SMU, you know, that's fine. That one makes sense. Trike was bridges. Like the, the cornerback room is, is stacked. I understood that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked Trike was bridges, frankly, uh, because he was like a, 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 uh, he was a good tackler. Um, you know, folks weren't getting, you know, uh, any yards after the catch, you know, with that guy. Um, I I just liked him as a depth piece, but Oregon's got lots of depth pieces. Brian Addison, the safety, like actually, you know, honestly, the two safeties to me are the ones that hurt the most. Um, even though they're, they weren't totally unexpected because we sort of, uh, they weren't unexpected because they weren't playing, and so when they hit the portal, I was like, yeah, I saw that coming on the, but at the same time, I was like, man, Oregon has a safety depth issue. I sort of wish that that hadn't happened. Those are Brian Addison who like, you know, he stopped playing in the middle of the year. And the only explanation we ever got was it was for personal reasons, not right. injury related reasons. Um, and then he transferred to UCLA, which was the place that he actually originally committed as a wide receiver out of high school years and years ago. Um, and I don't know if we're ever going to get an explanation for why that was. Um, I, I, you know, yeah. Personal me. reasons could be, it could be, so much of anything that yeah it's kind of useless to speculate yeah i i just don't know like um i i didn't think he was bad as a safety i think oregon you know could have used him and so like i was sad that he stopped playing um i i i i hope if the personal reasons that he stopped playing are painful ones to him that they are resolved um in a happy way 
um the 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 other one is damon david um he uh he sort of uh, was fighting some injuries like he wasn't available in the spring game due to injuries um he uh, uh he only played in a couple of games uh, this season against uh, uh cal and asu although even in those like i don't remember seeing him um uh um you know that that's another one where like i i'm not I don't think he's chosen a destination yet, right? That's correct. He has not chosen a destination school. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm not sure what the story is there either. Like that's a, like safety is a position need for Oregon. I'm not sure why he bounced. Um, I don't know. If, like, like Oregon doesn't seem like it's in a position where they'd be processing dudes out. Like they need as much help as they can get. You know, at safety. Um, so right and they're they're gonna have to strike a hot iron in the transfer portal with yeah. that position yeah we're definitely keeping our eye on a couple of different you know guys who who oregon is you know trying to target um um i think we 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 mentioned earl josh delgado who we haven't seen for years he's been injured for like two straight years and then he had a uh uh traffic-based arrest which is like really weird um yeah. and then of course ty thompson you know, which, you know, we, we'd all sort of seen that one coming for a long time. Um, you know, especially with the couple of, of transfer quarterbacks that, you know, Oregon's taken, um, the, 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 I guess one of the, the more interesting pieces of news is the dog who didn't bark, uh, which is that, you know, Austin Novosad, who hmm. was essentially the quarterback that they, they got out of the prep ranks last year, as when Dante Moore flipped from Oregon to UCLA, they flipped Novus ad from Baylor, causing Baylor fans to be very upset. Although, given how terrible Baylor has been run for the last several years, uh, uh, you know, Oregon probably did everybody a favor um, involved. Uh, Novus ad, despite having like, you know, all these quarterbacks come in over him. Um, and, and Oregon's, you know, uh, commitment to the uh, 2025 FEMOM, you know, Keely Smith Jr. Uh, has said he's sticking around, you know, he's going to compete for the job. Um, you, you know, you might have expected him to be part of this, you know, portal update article, and yet he's not. So that's very interesting. Um, uh, in, in my opinion, what do you think about, you know, how the quarterback situation is set up? Well, um, we we obviously have uh, our starter for next season in, in Gabriel, mm-hmm. and um, that kind of uh, sets up for what the backup would be. I, I think that with um, with more coming in, uh, Thompson just uh, probably could not see any light at the end of the tunnel. Well, sure. And, and, you know, uh, you, you've got to do, uh, what you need to for yourself. I mean, you, you presumably have been developing and, um, you'll get on, uh, a team and serve a meaningful role as, as a quarterback. But if, um, if more is serious about, uh, sitting out for a year and developing and he's given the opportunity opportunity to do that then um you know maybe nova said is eyeballing uh, a backup role 
Well, I, you know, y- you need a backup quarterback. Yep. And, and honestly, given Dylan Gabriel's, you know, history where, you know, he's been playing for five seasons, there hasn't been a, a single season in which he's taken every single snap. You know, he gets sort of minor dings and, and needs to, you know, go out of the game for some period of time. It will almost certainly be the case, given that history, that Oregon's primary backup quarterback will see the field during some meaningful snaps yeah, in 2024. It's, it's like you said in the previous broadcast, uh, if Oregon's making a deep run, deep run in the college football playoff, uh, there's more games and there's more likelihood that you're going to need two quarterbacks mm-hmm. and uh, just one is probably not likely to uh, carry you through your destination. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, how Novasad plays in the spring game and then, yeah, in into next season. Well, I certainly, you know, I like having two backup quarterbacks. Or actually, it'll be three because, uh, or it should be anyway. Early signing day is uh, we're, we're recording on Tuesday night. Uh, early signing day is tomorrow as we record this. Um, we will be, uh, uh, you know, on Thursday. Kevin will have the article um, recapping early signing day. It, it's not looking like there's going to be any real drama, but you know, we want to wait for the ink to be dry uh in order to write it up um and uh, oregon should secure the uh um luke moga as their true freshman um uh, michael van buren um from delmarva uh, uh decommitted um so you know that should that should mean four quarterbacks in the room um which is a nice you know, with a nice progression of class balance, right? You got Dylan Gabriel mm-hmm. as the old man. You'll have, uh, you know, a uh, 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 more as the uh, as the twenty twenty three. Uh, uh, you'll have more in Novasad as twenty twenty three guys, um, but with Novasad having you know no playing time or, or practically no playing time, um, he did actually get a little tiny bit of garbage time for Oregon, and more getting um, some extensive amount for UCLA, but not you know, but as mentioned, he did get benched, uh, you know, because. Chip Kelly doesn't know what he's doing, um, and, you know, so that, you know, that's an interesting balance. And then they'll have a, you know, a 2024 guy um, in MOGA. So like interesting, interesting class balance. Um, and uh, and then, they, you know, probably Keely Smith, you know, junior coming in in 2025. So like, yeah, it should be a real interesting room. Um, yeah. And that's not going to be the uh, only excitement with uh, signing day. I mean, uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, you said Tristan's doing the article, right? Uh, no, Kevin's right. Kevin, the, yeah, but he's he's going to um, have a lot of fun stuff to write about, and uh, it'll be a, a good podcast. Well, when I you, think when you guys talk, I think we're probably going to do for the site is you know. Uh, 
uh, Kevin's probably, you know, just going to do like quick blurb, you know, for everybody who signs, just sort of like confirm. Yeah, everybody signed, you know, that we're expecting. And then, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we will probably go a little more in depth about the dudes who signed, you know, like we'll, we'll you know, we'll probably like chop it up into, you know, the, the offensive skill position players, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen, the or defensive front players, like in the secondary, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, pro- we'll probably get like four more articles out of that, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll go dig out their like their huddle tape and, and we'll talk about that a bit. Um, but like we need to confirm that they sign first, you know, we're not previewing <laughs> players who wind up, you know, flipping to some other school and don't say that can't happen because remember we had that Bowen nonsense with like Notre Dame and mm-hmm. oh man, like let's all hope that you know craziness doesn't happen uh tomorrow um anyway uh the uh the, uh i mentioned it you know at the beginning of the segment but there were a couple of other uh, uh transfers that that were added uh matthew bedford the uh, indiana uh, uh offensive lineman who i have actually watched since i charted um indiana's uh, games in 2021 and 2022 um he yeah, missed a, I, a good i was i was gonna ask you about that because um you know the offensive lineman hey you don't have any stats um for him and i do to go to well i don't uh, and so i i was oh you mean uh, the g the the general you yes right yes um uh so i was uh, i'm sure you've looked at um indiana film uh, what do you see out of this guy uh, honestly, his grades aren't great. Um, the he's, I mean, he fits the part, like he has all the measurables, um, and he's versatile. Like I watched him play every position except center. Um, he was injured in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, like, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't make assignment errors, but like his technique could use a lot of refinement. Like, I just don't really think that he was coached very well at Indiana, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, it is, I think, I, I don't know. I, I worry about players who are as old as he is um, taking to coaching. Um, Cause it's sort of like, I sort of feel like once you get past maybe like your third year, you're sort of set in your ways and and it's not going to reverse even with the best coaching in the world. Um, I I sort of think Oregon's taking him as a depth piece, like as a, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, And and Oregon probably, you know, needs some, you know, needs a depth depth piece on the interior uh, Mm -hmm. of the line. Um, I think they're probably, I I think it's probably the case just reading some tea leaves here that um, the injury situation uh, and, or just not working out to the last two guys that they took uh, Struther and, um, and Angelau um, like, both of those guys are, you know, basically spent all of last year uh, like hurt. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we, we didn't see Angelau at all. Um, we saw Struther really only in garbage time. Um, and they're either, either not able to play or not able to play. 
Um, and so it's like for all the same reasons that Oregon took those guys, those guys last cycle, I sort of expect Oregon is taking Bedford this cycle, Mm -hmm. like, um, which is to say Oregon's probably confident in their development pipeline for their recruited and sort of organically developed, you know, players in their own pipeline and that they're taking interior offensive linemen who are experienced and have the proper body type um, as supplements and depth pieces in case something goes wrong, but not as actually part of the plan, like UCLA style. I guess mm-hmm. UCLA is like the theme of the podcast here, like <laughs> where like Chip Kelly, who does the opposite of all of that, right? Like the dude does not develop his players at all, doesn't recruit at all. It just stinks to high heaven in terms of his organic development of his offensive line, just snatches up dudes out the portal and sticks them right in to his, you know, starters and and that's why they sucked. And and that's why, you know, Dante Moore never got any protection, which guess what a pocket passer needs a pocket. Mm-hmm. And if you're and if anybody's out there who's like, well, Dante Moore must be a bust because he didn't perform very well as a true freshman. Like it's because he's playing in the wrong system and as a pocket passer without a pocket. And why doesn't he have a pocket? It's because Chip Kelly doesn't develop his offensive linemen. He just grabs up portal players, sticks them in without any development. And they're bad portal players at their previous school. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? So like Oregon's the opposite of this, right? Like they're homegrown dudes right they're the jackson powers johnsons and and the marcus harpers and the josh connerly's you know they're homegrown dudes and they take you know interior offensive linemen as the you know at points in their career such that they are not disrupting the development cycle it's a if something goes wrong there it's break glass in case of emergency you know kind of deal so that's that's look at look at what happened with bo nix behind a decent line right different player yeah i mean go figure (laughs) um jay harris the running back um it's good, good luck finding film i mean really the best film I could I could find uh, about him I'm not kidding about this was a local news piece uh uh from Northwest Missouri like Maryville which is where Northwest Missouri State is located um in which he played a really good game in which he got like four touchdowns and so like you know their local sports reporter is like real excited about how well Jay Harris did and so he's like let me show you he's like it's like a five minute long video where he's like he takes over the local broadcast and just shows you nothing but Jay Harris highlights (laughs) like that's it that's the documentation we have for Jay Harris is the local news from his four touchdown game. Yeah, but anyway, that's funny. I, I need to see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to dig it up and send it to you. Um, so anyway, but with, uh, as, with, with him, I, I have to trust Lachlan and his eye because oh, yeah. yeah, Lachlan oh, has been I, I do so solid with point. everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't believe that. Um, 
Jay Harris is going to be an abject buster or anything. Well, I mean, it is a possibility. I mean, anytime you get a D2 guy like this, it all, I mean, it's, there's exactly two possibilities. Like I talk about the rule of thirds a lot. Yep. Um, there, there's no in between. It's, it's rule, it's a, it's, it's rule of twos. It's uh, either, uh, he gets to the power five level. And I mean, this, I mean, like, as you say in your article, right, he's in a division two first team associated press, all American. Um, he was, you know, number three in division two in rushing yards per game, you know, with he, he had 130 rushing guards per game. Yeah. Like every time he took the field, he had 130 yards. Uh, those mm-hmm. <laughs> bonkers. Um, like so there's one of two things that are, that's going to happen when a division two like you know all world kind of dude shows up at the power five level uh number one is that he kicks all the ass in the world at the power five level and you were like oh thank god for the transfer portal so that this guy can be playing in the league he's supposed to be your the division that he's supposed to be playing in you know how how on earth did this guy get misclassified you know by the recruiting services or whatever you know and, and sent to division two out of high school like uh you know well i'm behind a decent line yeah again uh it, the other possibility is uh, he does nothing uh, um and you're like oh yeah that's why he was a division two player um there's uh, there's no in between there there's there's no like he does like a little bit you know or he's like a backup who does okay like nah he'll he's either gonna kick ass or do nothing um and i have no idea which it's gonna be like none um yeah well in this running back room he he may not be required to do much of anything yeah. next season mm. oh, but uh you know Lachlan does have the eye so um the other thing is that he's he's big he's like six yeah. two I mean he's the same size as Dowdell was and Dowdell was a surprise because like before you know you know uh 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 Whittington who, who he brought over with him from Western Kentucky uh and Bucky Irving um and Jordan James and Lamar like they all they all all have like identical body types. Oh, and I can also tell you another puzzle piece, which is when Carlos Lachlan took over the running back room at Western Kentucky. He instituted a four running back rotation. Those were not the four running backs who were the guys who were the room pr- prior to him taking over he basically like cleaned out the unproductive room he like took two guys who were in that room but who were not really getting carries and he elevated them he took a couple other guys who were getting carries and were like you need to go back to be defensive linemen you you can um you can probably take some inference into how bad western kentucky was screwing up uh, from that uh yeah so he like totally remade the um the western kentucky running back room um and the four dudes that he was using in in 2021 the year before he came to oregon they were all that body type so so it's like he definitely has a type and so then it was surprising when he got Dante Dowdell, who was 6'2 and not that body type. And it was like, huh. So then he transfers out. And I was like, oh, well, maybe 
maybe he was like maybe he was slapping his forehead and saying like why did i get one of the dudes who is not my type like huh but then he goes and gets jay harris who's six two and i'm like what's you know every, every time i think i have this puzzle solved uh so i don't know man well, mm. uh, maybe he has a, a vision of uh some type of rotation and setup that we just haven't seen yet that's you know that th- th- that's probably it you know that he he's got a he's got a plan that you know he, like on on the back of uh you know some notepad you know that the you know he, that he cooked up you know i've always wanted to have you know in addition to this thing that i you know the uh, of my type i've always wanted to supplement it with a 6-2 guy so that i could do this and i've never been able to do yeah. it but i've got a plan and i want to you know make it work <laughs> well every yeah. time i want to do it they bring in casey rogers or something yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my big guy it could have been me well we'll see <laughs> All right, we can go for a while. I, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. We're we're excited about the uh, the 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 portal additions who've come in. the The portal departures were all uh, you know expected at least. Like none of them were unexpected. You know, there's only like one or two that I you know are sort of heartbreaking because that's sort of the nature of where we're at with Dan Lanning at this point in his tenure. Like you know, this roster management has sort of become a machine. You know, where it's uh, you know the 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 guys who leave are the guys who are you know are are sort of not contributing uh and the guys who are coming in are you know Oregon's being choosy about them you know they are supplemental pieces that don't disrupt the pipeline or they are game changers um you know that that work within uh you know the the established parameters um or which like change the parameters in a positive you know way uh you know our i I really think this guy's like doing some really masterful roster management moves here. Um, I, I, you know, so far portal update number one looks real good and there's probably going to be a portal update number two. That's going to have some happy news in it as well. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Exciting uh, times uh, until Very then. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, all right. That'll do it for us uh, this week uh, or for this episode. Anyway, um, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater? Not really. Looking forward to tomorrow and seeing what shakes out. And when I uh, look at the calendar, I realize that we have less than two weeks until Liberty Liberty. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> do you know how difficult it is to do this film study and keep that jingle out of my head? <laughs> like, I don't need that. Um days are getting shorter in fact uh, tomorrow I, I believe is the shortest day of the year um it, it, it's pretty dark uh but it, at least the skies are clear and it never rains on this podcast <laughs>